Living God, that is part of our prayer this morning, is that You would be born in us, that we would know Your great presence here, in this place, at this time, in all places, at all times, but You are with us. May that reality really be seared into our consciousness and our hearts, deep in our soul. May it be so, we pray, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Amen. Some of you uh, probably know the actor named Jeff Bridges. Uh, He's been a long-time actor in Hollywood. He's uh, been in films such as The Big Lebowski in the uh, remake of True Grit, the old John Wayne movie, and uh, many other films and several of the Iron Man films. Uh, Who doesn't like a good Iron Man movie? I don't know. But uh, Jeff Bridges uh, describes uh, one of the greatest gifts that he has ever received in his life. And he said that his mother, um, every day, would write in a journal, handwritten in a journal. And uh, for each, both him and all of his siblings, on their 21st birthday, his mom would uh, hand them a biography of their own life. And what she would do is that she would go back through her journal, and every time that uh, child's name, Jeff's name, was found, she would transcribe that in another journal, and she would accumulate those entries about him. And on his 21st birthday, he was given this journal, the biography, and he says it was so amazing to see his own life through his mother's eyes. And what a great gift. And I don't share that to put any pressure on moms. <laughs> Or dads, for that matter. Uh, but just what a, what a great gift that would be. I think she lost uh, one of her first children uh, before his first birthday. And so I think that maybe fueled part of the significance uh, of that particular gift. But how amazing it is and would be to receive a gift like that through a mother's eyes of uh, what uh, uh, just the biography and the story. You know, Mary, uh, as a mother in, in the Bible, uh, she is described as one uh, two times in Luke as one who treasured certain events in her life and pondered them in her heart. Uh, We're told that after the shepherds come and visit her in Bethlehem, that she pondered those things in her heart. And and then uh, later in Jesus' life, when he's 12 years old, and uh, they were caravanning from Jerusalem back to Nazareth with their village in tow, and all of a sudden, after many hours, they look around and, where's Jesus? I don't know. Where is he? Joseph, I thought you had him. What? So they go back to Jerusalem, right? And there they find Jesus at the temple of all places, not doing what you would expect, but He was teaching the teachers of Israel. And the Bible records that Mary pondered those things in her heart. And even though the Bible doesn't say it, I'm sure that Mary also treasured up the fact when the angel came to visit her, and declared to her, Mary, even though you have not known intimately a man, you're going to somehow become pregnant because the Holy Spirit is about to overshadow you. I bet she treasured that up in her heart, don't you? And I'll bet after Jesus was born and sometime later when uh, these strangers from a strange land came to visit them at the house, these wise men, I bet she treasured that in her heart as well. Because Mary wasn't just for sentimental reasons. And one of the things I love about Christmas is, is kind of the, the warm, fuzzy, sentimental things. The, the memories I have as a child. And uh, you're probably somewhat the same way. But I don't think that's the reason that Mary treasured up these things in her heart. I think she is an example for you and me about what it is to examine closely the realities of Christmas 
and to try to ponder the significance of God coming to the earth, of an infinite spirit being God, taking on flesh and bone, incarnation, and coming and living among His people, and trying to somehow wrap her mind around that. And I think it's an invitation for you and me to try to do the same thing. Because the presence of Jesus in the world is a big deal, both globally and locally. Mary's pondering of these events invite us to think about the global reality and the personal reality of God coming into the world. And the way that Luke describes it, in Luke chapter 2, you're welcome to open your Bibles there. Luke chapter 2, we begin with uh, the description of a global event taking place and God is inviting us to think about the, the great impact of the presence of Jesus and why it's important and the way that it, it affected the entire world. Here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. It's usually what happens when an angel shows up in the Bible. People get mighty scared. But I love what the angel almost always does in response. Don't be afraid, because I bring you news, good news of great joy, that will be for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly... A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed. They were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Last week when we looked at Matthew's 
sharing of the story, we looked at one of the names that was given to describe the person of Jesus. The word Emmanuel, which Matthew translates it for us. It literally means the God who is with us. The God who isn't out there somewhere, it's the God who is with us. That is the significance of Christmas, is that God now is present in His world, but not just in His world at large, but among His people. Not just among His people in general, but He is with you. He is with you. Emmanuel. God with us. You see, Jesus' presence is a big deal in the grand, global, cosmic scale and a humongous, ginormous proportions, but He's also present, and it's a big deal in the small, intimate, personal scale. You see, God has come, and you can measure His coming because He's come for you, because He loves you. I've said it before that I probably should say every Sunday when we get together, this reminder that God loves you. I don't say it enough, but I'm going to say it again today. God loves you. That is the Christmas story. God was not content to be somewhere else. He wanted to remind you and to communicate to you that His presence now is an expression of His love for you. But Jesus' presence is a big deal in the global reality. In fact, Luke's gospel, this part of the story, starts off by talking about the Roman emperor. Caesar Augustus, before he was given the title Augustus, history knows him as Octavian in English. Uh, He was the nephew of Julius Caesar. He's the one that Julius Caesar wrote into his will and made him an adopted son that opened the doorway for him eventually to step into becoming the Roman emperor. It was under Caesar Augustus that imperial Rome really hit its high water mark. I mean, it was amazing. He said that when I came to Rome, it was covered in sun-dried bricks, but I left it dressed in marble. It was Caesar Augustus. It was Caesar Augustus who's really smart politically. He, uh, he went and slowly and methodically sought out uh, permission from the people, from the Senate, to, be, to uh, garner the, the powers that were eventually to be vested in his office. It would, down the road, turn into emperor worship uh, with unlimited and unbridled power. But it all began with Caesar Augustus. It was under Caesar Augustus that what became well known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, became so widespread around the Roman world. And this is what it meant was that so much of the world had become conquered by the Roman authorities, and because of the great infrastructure the Romans put in place all around the Mediterranean basin, you could now travel quite easily long distances. But not only could you travel a long way, but you could travel safely, relatively, from what it had been centuries before, because there was this Roman peace and and a sense of calm. Israel had only been under Roman rule at, at this time, only for about 60 years in its true sense. And part of what Luke is trying to help us understand when he opens the birth narrative of Jesus by talking about the Roman emperor, the Jews could care less about Rome. In fact, they hated Rome. But this is for us, in part, to remind us that what God is doing at Christmas has global significance. The whole Roman world, you see, would be touched 
by the coming and the presence of Jesus. Even this day, about a third of the world's population, in some degree, in some description, is worshiping uh, under the Christian faith. However, there are 10,000, nearly 10,000 different people groups with their own culture, their own identified language, that are, are either have very limited access to the gospel or no access at all. The whole world will be touched. Luke is trying to communicate that. When Jesus comes into the world, it's intended to be that which filters out and touches the entire world. In other words, there's still billions of people around the planet that have very little or zero access to the gospel. And that's why we involve ourselves as a church in missions. That's why we send people, we pray for them, we financially support it. We are praying for people, for movements of the gospel among these particular tribes and, and peoples around the world. The impact of the presence of Jesus on the world, I mean, where could we begin? It increased, Jesus' presence increased the value of human life, not only in the value of the unborn, but in the Roman and the early centuries, the, the regular practice of what was called exposing, the exposure of children. If you didn't want a child, you could take it to the city gates and just leave it there. And sometimes the wolves would come and get it. Other times people who dabbled in, or traded in... Um, kind of late-night economies of prostitution and stuff, they would often come and claim these children and raise them up to be their slaves in those practices. But it was the presence of Jesus and through the Christian faith that began to spread that the value of human life was raised to significant levels. The dignity of women was greatly increased because of the presence of Jesus and the, the spread of the Christian faith. In fact, one example is in India where there was a time uh, where the practice of sati was ha would happen where when a husband died, he would be put on a funeral pyre, that pyre would be lit, and the widow was often expected to climb up on that pyre and to die with her husband, in part because the value of a woman's life was much less than that of a man. But it was through Christian missionaries that helped to eliminate that practice by and large in that place. We could go on and on down the list of the impact globally on the big scale of what the presence of Jesus in the world and the impact He has made and the way cultures have been touched and the way lives have been changed and the way that we see the world and the way that we interact with each other and the way that we begin to put into practice in our life the teaching of Jesus. You see, the presence of Jesus is a big deal globally, but it's also a big deal personally. We can measure it in global big ways, but we can also measure it in very small ways. The fact that God has chosen to condescend Himself to come and live among His people. God has chosen to take on human flesh to be here with us. He comes to, primarily, initially, through Mary and Joseph. You see, God doesn't just act in these grand ways. God doesn't just act with grand and important people. He comes maybe especially to the everyday people, the people of little renown. God comes into the nitty-gritty of life. God comes into the particulars of your life, into your waking up in the morning life, and your scrambling eggs life, and to getting your kids off to school life, and into your work life, and into the commute miles that you take each day. God comes into those realities. God comes into the paying of your bills life. He comes into the heartaches of your life. He comes into the struggles and the 
medical problems and the concerns of grown children who are not uh, going the direction you'd hope they would go, God comes into the nitty-gritty of real life. He doesn't stand far off and separate. That's what Christmas is about. It's the presence of God. The presence of God into this world, but not just the world, into your world. Into your world. Why? Because God loves you. Can I say it again? God loves you. He does. He comes in to Mary and Joseph, and as Jesus now has given birth, it, it gives confidence to their faith, and it validates those early steps of trust in God. Mary says, what? Angel, you're telling me that the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow me and somehow I'm going to become pregnant even though I've never known a man? Well, okay. And the coming of Jesus validates her faith. Joseph too. What? Angel? You're telling me that this woman who's now pregnant, I have to somehow trust that it's not been in the normal, natural way? That she's not been unfaithful? Okay. Okay, I'll trust you. And now Jesus comes into the nitty-gritty of their reality. And uh, Jesus comes into the nitty-gritty of, of this life. It does, it's not a palace. It's not a, a gold-laden room. It's likely a cave. It's into a feeding trough He is placed. Um, I can't help it, but um, here comes another story about Israel, one of uh, a thousand, I'm sure. Uh, we had the chance to go and visit Megiddo. Megiddo is a place where I think about 23 layers of civilization uh, rest. Megiddo is a place, uh, uh, we know it in the, the New Testament as uh, Armageddon. It comes from the Hebrew har... Uh, 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 what is the Hebrew term? Well... Something. Anyway, it gets corrupted into uh, our English word uh, Megiddo, uh, or Armageddon. It stands for the word uh, the hill of uh, Megiddo. And, um, but it sits at, at the intersection of two international trade routes. When uh, the Babylonians and the Assyrians wanted to go to Egypt, and vice versa, the Egyptians up here in the Roman world, when they wanted to come, they would come down through and you'd have to pass by uh, the Via Maris uh, and the, the place of Megiddo. It's a very strategic place. It was so strategic that King Solomon, he chose it as one of his chariot cities where he reinforced it with armaments. And literally his chariots, which were the tanks of his day, and uh, we got to see there where the archaeologists have dug away the rubble. And you can see where the stables would have been for Solomon's horses. And, uh, and you see two rows. There may have been more. But you can see two rows. And you've got about these carved out pieces of rock that had a, a kind of a, a, a shelf, a bedding inside. And they're about three feet long. And you'd have probably ten of these in a row with about a five-foot column separating. So you'd have a, if they were a feeding trough, a feeding trough made out of stone, a five-foot column, another feeding trough, a column, another feeding trough. And you'd had two different rows where Solomon's horses uh, would have uh, been kept and well cared for and on high alert for uh, if they needed to come down off that hill and do some business down in the valley of Armageddon. Uh, not only was Solomon there, but other peoples were there. But these were just like the stone feeding troughs that likely would have been in this cave where Mary and Joseph first touched and held and spoke to Jesus. It was into this normal, less than normal place that Jesus enters into the nitty-gritty of life. You see, He left His privileges behind. 
so that he could come and live normal life, even less than normal. Um, my mom used to ask me if I was born in a barn because of some of the things I would do, leaving a door open and things. Well, you know what? Jesus literally was. You see, he comes into the nitty-gritty of life. It's not just on a global reality. It's his presence on a very personal scale that is so important. Leslie McCarty's dad, Doran, we've prayed for him and his health. He's uh, pastoring now in his church again in Florida. On the first Sunday of Advent, he uh, preached uh, part of what he asked was, uh, you know, we, we sing often at Christmas, O Holy Night, one of my favorite songs. Uh, and he asked the question, what is it that made that first Christmas holy? And then he goes on and asks a series of questions, all of which are negative to what made that evening holy. And then he says this, what made the night holy? It was God's presence. The fact that God was there in the flesh. He goes on, he says, as Reverend Paul Scherer put it, God walked down the stairs of heaven with a baby in his arms. See, it's into the reality of life, into the reality of your life that God comes. He was given a name. When Herb described Open Door in the first service, he talked about uh, the people who work at Open Door Ministry and how uh, they are on a first-name basis with many of the people who come um, and receive from that ministry. Why is that significant? Why would he share that detail? It's because knowing a first name is significant. Knowing a first name communicates closeness. It communicates familiarity. Not only are we, we told that, that this person coming is the Messiah, but he's also Jesus. He's Jesus. In fact, some people would look at him when he became a man. they say, wait a minute. Isn't this Mary and Joseph's boy? We know where he's from. <laughs> what are you saying that he is? Who is he saying that he is? It really blew their mind. They couldn't quite wrap their mind around it. But we are given the name that Jesus was given. Or, Well, there it is. Jesus is the name. The Lord saves. And then we have the shepherds. The shepherds, some of the most marginalized, some of the most overlooked people of their day, guess what? They become the first people invited to the party. We're going to talk more about the shepherds on Christmas morning, and we're going to talk about uh, what it means to unwrap the gift of joy. The gift of joy. But why are the shepherds given so much ink in this passage? I think, at least in part, it's to remind us that no one is unnoticed. You are not unnoticed by God. God knows you. He sees you. He loves you. No one is too insignificant to be loved by God. You are loved by God. You see, Jesus came first to a little town outside of Jerusalem. We know it as Bethlehem. He isn't, though, just there. He wasn't just then. He's also here and now. Our guide, uh, we had a few days where it was super windy on our trip through Jeru uh, Israel. And one day it, it cleared up and it was really nice and sunny out. And he got on the microphone of the bus and he says, Well, he said, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a conversation about the weather. And here you go, it's your gift. And he, he made a joke and he said, you know, it's a local call here when you talk to God, is what he was saying. It's a local call when you, you pray and talk to God in Israel. Do you sense being closer 
to God. Sometimes people ask me that. You know, when you were in Israel, did you sense being closer to God in some way? And no, I really didn't. Um, because I, I really trust that God is as close to me here in Mill Valley as He is in Megiddo in Israel. God is as close to you and me in Tiburon as He is in Tiberias. God is as close to you and me as He in Nevado as He is in Jerusalem. Because God is near you. That's Emmanuel, God with us. The presence of Jesus matters personally. The question is, do you draw close to Him? James, in chapter 4, describes the, the humility of approaching God as, as a proper way of coming to God. And then he, he asks and reminds us, he says, draw near to God because He has drawn near to you. Jesus' presence certainly is a big deal globally, but is it also a big deal to you personally? That's what God wants it to be. He wants you to know Him and to love Him. He is here for you, not just then and there, but also here and now. We're going to pray, and then we're going to be invited to stand and sing our closing hymn together. And when we sing that hymn, that's an opportunity for you. Perhaps you sense God's Spirit stirring in your life in some particular way. Maybe you, uh, gosh, you've thought about the bigness of God but not the personal closeness of God. Maybe you'd like to just learn more about what that means. What it means to trust that when I pray to Him right now, I can actually know that He is with me. Maybe you've never experienced that in your life. You've never personally entered into your own relationship up close and personal with the living God. And you'd like to explore what that means. In a moment, we're going to sing together. And while we sing, that's a great chance just to come and let's begin a conversation. That would be such a great joy and delight for us. Let's pray together. Living God, we, we do pray because we trust that You are close. You are not just someone then and there, but You're here and now as well. You are here with us. Your presence, yes, it makes a difference in the big picture, in the grand scheme of things, but it also makes a big difference in our personal, regular lives. And we thank You for it. Thank You for the great present that You gave to us in the presence of Yourself. We are so eager to learn more about that, to explore the, the depths and the width and breadth of what all that means. God, we pray that maybe today there's someone who has never had the opportunity or the understanding yet for themselves to enter into a personal journey with You. Perhaps that conversation might begin or continue this day. Whatever You desire to do, Holy Spirit, may we be those quick to respond, eager to follow and trust You. And we pray it in Jesus' name together. Amen. Thank you.